0: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 452. I hope you've had a delightful week. Or if you're listening to this at the beginning of the week, I hope you're about to have an amazing week. Yes, I'm in that kind of super upbeat mood right now, so please deal with it. Um, I would like to say that uh, Nerdist News is a show that we've been doing for the past, like, six weeks over on the Nerdist channel at uh, youtube.com slash nerdist with Jessica Chobot. Um, We absorbed a lot of really great G4 people uh, over on the Nerdist channel. It was sad to see G4 go. Um, Although it still is kind of this weird zombie channel that is being powered by WebSoup. I think the only show they own outright. Um, but uh, but Jessica Chobot is hosting a sort of a bite-sized news show for us on the YouTube channel, three days a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I'm hoping to expand it at some point to four or five days a week. Um, but she's doing a fantastic job and people like Dan Casey drop by and, they, and she has guests. And it really is like, I've been calling it G4.1. So uh, go over and check out Nerdist News. Uh, follow them on Twitter, at Nerdist News, and then uh, YouTube.com slash Nerdist. Um, that's it for that. And I, uh, we I am so excited about the sponsor. I am so excited. I mean, of course I'm always excited about the sponsors, but, uh, but I'm particularly excited that, um, we are, uh, we're being sponsored this episode by the new Coen Brothers movie, Inside Llewyn Davis. Um, the Coen Brothers sponsoring a podcast. When I was sitting and watching Raising Arizona 150 times in the 80s, um, if I ever thought that we would even have this much of a connection to the Coen brothers, um, it's not like Joel and Ethan called me and said, "Hey, can we put this on the podcast?" I don't want to make it seem like that, but I'm just glad that we're uh, that I'm able to even say them in their name in any kind of official capacity. But Inside Llewyn Davis uh, takes place in Greenwich Village, as uh, sort of the folk music scene in 1961. It's been nominated for three Golden Globe Awards, including Best Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical. And of course, it was written and directed by Joel and Ethan Coen, starring Oscar Isaac, Carey Mulligan's in it, John Goodman, of course, Garrett Hedlund, uh, and then Justin Timberlake makes a little makes a little cameo on there as well. And I saw a clip from that and. I, and it actually actually pretty cool. So Inside Lewin Davis, um, check it out, is, is now playing in select cities. And I'd like to thank, I'm just going to go ahead and thank the Coen brothers. <laughs> not for sponsoring this episode of the podcast, but just for, just for... Oh, are you recording right now? Yes. The, why do you think I'm talking loudly into my phone? we are on a conference call. Yes, I am on a conference call with hundreds of thousands of people.
2: Hi, hundreds of thousands of people.
0: It's just that they're not able to talk back. Okay. I mean, they can talk back.
2: They'll talk
0: back. They'll talk back on the comment boards, uh, but they—you know—you could talk back to your podcast if you're listening to it. Just say things back, and then just pretend that the rest of us are just talking so fast that you can't get a word in, Edgewise. But you're forgiving of us because um, you know we're hyperkinetic and we love you. Um, this episode of the podcast is Brendan Small, who I've known for so long, and I have loved watching him attain this incredibly successful thing that he's carved out. Um, He's one of the most talented people you will ever meet. I don't know if you know this or not, but many years ago, and we talked about this in the podcast, Mike Furman and a friend of ours, Lee Farber, and I and Brendan all made this thing called the Tron Rock Opera, which is a 12-minute rock opera about the movie Tron. And this was in 2003 before anyone gave a shit about Tron again. So, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit of a Tron hipster right now, is that we did it before it was cool. Well, well, actually, it was always cool to us. We just loved Tron and wanted to make a rock opera about it. Uh, so we'll talk about that in the in, in the podcast. Um, but right now, Brennan has a somewhat new album out called uh, Galacticon, a high-stakes intergalactic extreme rock album. Um, and then also, of course, uh, you can go get the Metalocalypse album, Doomstar Requiem, uh, The Clock Opera. So go to brendonsmall.com, B-R-E-N-D-O-N-S-M-A-L-L.com, uh, and that'll give you links to that and just more stuff about Brendan, um, who's amazing. And he, he brought his axe, body spray, and a guitar <laughs> to play music. So here we go, The Nerds Podcast number 452 with Brendan Small. British Stick around until the end of the podcast for a special track from Tombstar Requiem. British
2: Now entering nerdist.com.
3: On making that left handed, or are you just
2: gonna?
3: I mean, that'd be easy to restring, but. Yeah, I'll have to do restring yeah. it. I mean, yeah. what else
2: is
1: there? I mean, I guess the, the knobs are up. The no, yeah,
3: probably. the pot switches and stuff. Because I have a. in the way, right? Yeah, I have arms. a casino I flipped to be yeah. like Paul McCartney. Well, you just switch your it's well. arms. It's harder than you think to know. do that. <laughs> yeah, my thumbs would be on the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just making excuses. <laughs> I guess you don't want it that bad. Yeah. You're right. You're
1: right. Brendan Small! Hi, how's it going? Hey, man. Thanks for joining Hi. us on good. Guitar Talk. I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Um, what's, what's, what's going on? Um, oh, nothing. Just working on Yeah, doing a little work, it, right? You
0: have, have to.
1: Well, I just, I just finished a whole bunch of stuff, so now I have, like, uh, free time. What do you do a, with free time? What do I do? Uh, well, I'm doing... I still do music, so I, I ended up getting roped into doing other music stuff that I uh, didn't foresee, but it's fun. I'm doing a ridiculous cover of... What does the fox say? Yeah, oh. with Scotty Ian and Brian Posehn. <laughs> of course, that sounds is Brian right, right? singing. Yes, he is. <laughs> it's really, really fun. What does the fox say? Oh, and Corey from Slipknot is. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, it actually sounds really, really good. Nice. <laughs> and the worst thing about doing a cover of "What Does the Fox Say" is that you have that song stuck in your head. Even if you
0: didn't do the cover, you'd if you have didn't do this
1: cover. cover, well, I had to listen to the whole song because I had to like build a whole beat map because I programmed all the drums for it, and I had never gotten past like when the nah. when the guy makes like the old guy is doing the sounds. I never got to the end of the song, but the song is actually it's really well produced. I never heard. Of it. Other stuff is really don't you must have heard it. don't never. hear it. I bet you have heard don't. it because no I didn't know I heard it. heard
3: it until I realized that that's what was playing. <laughs> on Hits one on Sirius X.
2: Song.
1: This is a <laughs> But that's also the chorus of What Does the Fox Say Oh, wow is Chris Isaac's Oh, Wicked Game? Yeah
0: It sure is What does the fox say What does the fox do the fox?
2: No, I don't want to be a fox no more
1: day Like just like sitting with
2: a guitar,
0: <laughs> you know, I, that's
1: how I. It's that's, that's what I do in the morning because I, I. The thing is, I've put myself in a position where I have to play a lot of guitar and I have to play it well and I have to play fast guitar and I put my created a show where the I mean the guitar player really really fast, so I got to keep up with that. So every morning I have the same routine where I wake up like an hour or two before I have to be anywhere and I, I drink coffee and I play about like an hour or an hour and forty five minutes of guitar and try to learn all this like nerdy stuff that keeps your brain alive because you'll. If you play guitar, you know you plateau really yeah. quickly. Oh, you yeah. go like, I know how to do this, and then you're like, and then the way your hands work, people forget this, but you don't always have it. You have it some days, and some days you don't. You're this big. Your hands are these blobs, these amorphous, yeah. and you have to be in shape constantly. And if you're on the road, you're playing really well because you've got a guitar in your hand. You're playing a show, and the stakes are high, so you got to really not miss notes okay. or screw up or any of that stuff. So, so I just try to keep my hands in shape every morning. What
3: do you? Uh, work. What's your? What's your? What do you immediately start playing when you pick it up? Uh, let's see. <laughs>
2: There's three chords,
1: and <laughs> part of a uh, eruption which I blow.
2: We. <laughs> Brandon. friend against <laughs> <of> <laughs> hey, oh, That was a much better joke.
1: Stuff, but uh, that that wasn't even good. Eddie Van Halen would yeah, probably sneer at that. Really <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a guy, guitar players listening, like, uh, know that I blew half of that. So, but it sounded like nobody knows, nobody can tell. That's the great know. thing about guitar. <laughs>
3: <If> it's distorted <laughs> enough, yeah. no one
1: can tell. It. It, yeah, it's true. Yeah, is it so fun when it's like a. Like a chore, sort of, where it's like, I have to do this every day. You know what really sucks, I find, is is recording rhythm guitars for metal songs. So that is, it's all about the right hand, about getting your right hand. You have to just, not only do you have to record it once, you have to record it twice because, like in a Metallica song or something like that, it's not just one rhythm guitar you're hearing, it's two, and they're panned hard left and hard right. But James Hetfield is such a good rhythm guitar player that he, you know... So even that was like, it sounded okay, but if you have to strip that and play along with it with another guitar, then things start getting really so do things like for, that. Do you hear your forearm
3: cramps? I do.
1: Um, you really? know, only when I play bar chords on an yeah. acoustic is when my hand really starts cramping up. But I know when I'm playing the best guitar I'm playing, it's when my hand is usually pretty yeah. warm and loose and I'm not pressing hard, you yeah. know? Yeah, and uh, it's like you know if you're playing tennis or jogging, you don't want to flex every muscle when you're running. You want to keep it loose and yeah. be able to kind of be in control. So, yeah. well, I remember. I, let, let, let's go let's back a back. Let's, let's go in the old time machine. Oh, I have a time
0: machine rip, 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 rip
1: cord or something? Yeah, like, a, like uh, just some time machine. time machine. Uh,
2: yeah.
0: Good. Yeah, that's good So uh, here we are in like 2003 <laughs> Yeah, maybe around then, yeah Yeah, it was, it was like oh two oh three. 2003 I first met you kind of just around the LA comedy scene sure, and, yeah. and I did not know at that time that you were a guitar player I knew that you had done home movies Right, yeah And we had we were doing a lot of the same um,
1: fun slash crappy shows around Los Angeles Sure, I think I remember we would do the, uh, the old uh, comedy Death Ray at the time That was, that was a fun, fun show. show That was a great comedy show What's that? It was still it was just the Tuesday night show at M-Bar. Yeah, it was just the Tuesday night which is one of the best shows, and that venue is one of the best venues, and those guys packed it really well, and it, yeah. always had a, it was always a cool drop-in. And I remember then there's the other ones, like the Brew... What's the... uh Brewco. Yeah, the Brewco. Do they still do those shows? There? No, it, uh, just ra- it just ended. Really? This year, yeah. it just ended. I never got on. They never drew my name.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you could go on now. You yeah, could probably go, go to it Anyone else. It. do
1: as much time as you want. Those are great shows. I remember doing stand-up... Somebody said, hey, you got to come and do my show. It was around that era. And it was at the comedy store in the upstairs room. The belly room. The belly room. The belly room. The belly room. And he said, you got to come. It's a great show. Just be there at like 5.30. I was Ugh. like, 5.30? That's early for comedy. And I went there, and, um, and there were like 35 comics and I maybe I was the last one there, or maybe they drew names and I was the last person. But one by one, each comic who is the audience also, the, you forget in comedy that the audience is you. You're yeah, yeah. the you and your your peers are the audience. So you're performing for your peers ninety percent of the time when you're working on stuff. And and by the time each guy finished and they said, good night, and then they left and they'd go straight to their car. And by the time it got <laughs> to me, I was the last one there. Except for the host who was sitting there with his arms crossed with a big smile on his face. Yeah. Like, ladies and gentlemen, Brendan Small. And he like, yeah. ran back down. Huh. Well, that, was
0: and, always the, that was always the first big jump when you, when you went from open mic comic to like, oh, you're starting to get on book shows.
1: Right, yeah. And
0: then... Some of the open mics would go, "Oh, you could drop in whenever you want." You go, "Oh, I've got a free yeah. pass." Yeah, there must be somebody. And then they would yeah. put you on last and call you the
1: headliner and then you realize, "No, I'm just the guy going last." I'm the guy going last no where there's nobody there. Yeah. Yeah. I but I remember I was like, "This is at some point, I don't know if this has happened to all you guys, but you just read you reach a level of mania and lunacy where you're just like, "What the What the hell is going on? What am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing just in general with who am I?" Yeah. Like all those questions start going and you have a microphone in your hand. And there's one guy with his arms folded in the back of the room. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to be that close to you because no, it's it too no, intimate. No, no. Yeah, and uh, but I just did my act. I probably had the most fun I've ever had in my life, which uh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But that was the. That we'll was check with that fun. guy. <laughs> <laughs> but that he, was... he left. That was the worst part. Yeah. You, did, you,
0: did you come out of the Chica- you came out of the Chicago comedy
1: scene? <gasps> no, I was in Boston. So the went, Boston. So I went to music school at Berkeley, College yeah. of Music, and then right when I graduated, I got a job in retail, and I started doing comedy. <laughs> Where, so you, I was, where in Boston were you? I was at the, the Hong Kong. So, yeah. so Eugene Merman and I became friends during my last year uh, of music school. And he said, we need a roommate. Do you want to be our, my roommate? Him and his buddy Matt. And I said, sure. And uh, I had already seen him because I had been in a sketch troupe and yeah. stuff. So, so we ended up doing a Friday night show together. He, myself, and Patrick Borelli, and, who is now on uh, Fallon and stuff so the three of us had a show and we would just do these absurd characters and stand-up and sketches and music things and all kinds of stuff like that so it was all boston then when did where did uh, when did you pitch how did you get home movies on well i was on a show um it was at that same club it's called the hong kong if you're in boston ever it's a really really great room it's always got the best right energy there. in the world yeah yeah and uh rick jenkins it yeah. was and, and still is the guy so every time i'm in town i I go and just, I want to go see a show or something, and he drags me on stage, and I'm doing something. But um, but uh, I was on a show, and Ron Lynch, who I'd seen come through town a few times, was on the show, too. And I had this idea for this this character that I wanted to do, and I roped Ron Lynch into doing something with me. But Louis C.K., who I'd seen, he always came to this little club also. And um, And back then, before he was, like, super famous, he was... The, still the funniest guy in stand-up yeah like people could say oh yeah he got really when he became a father he really ch-. he was way funnier than everybody else in the world and you laughed until your face hurt long before he had kids or like became uh, got married and divorced and all that stuff but uh so i was on a show with those two guys and the guys from dr Katz were there too and i kind of knew which table they were at so i was doing this ridiculous character kind of to that table because I was like I think those guys are the guys because me and Eugene were like I know Dr. Katz is done around here and we love this show and I know they book comics on that so we've been doing it for about eight months oh, why not wow. us you know and, uh, and so I got a call from the now creator of uh, Bob's Burgers Lauren Bouchard and he was like in his 20s still back then and, uh, and then we just like met up and, and just started putting the show together and improvising, so uh, they would just put me in front of a microphone, and they say, "You're, you know, be a character or something," <laughs> and that was how the show developed. Just recording, and recording, and improvising, and, stuff. Oh, and then wow. sort of backing the music into it. And then, I, well, yeah, I, I just uh, I had my guitar one day, and I just I just thought we should mess around with some stuff. There was like the second episode of the show, and I started doing like I think I just started playing like.
2: Uh
1: It was like, uh, we were just, and we were messing around with rock and metal and stuff, so they were playing Ozzy, and I thought, well, there should be a character that plays it, so there was a character on the show that we kind of created named Dwayne because of just my love for guitar and stuff, and that was around the same time, I didn't know what I was going to do with music after music school, so I kind of had my guitar in its case, and it was collecting dust, so every once in a while, I'd bring it out for, like, I'd write little miniature rock operas, even back then at at the comedy studio, and, uh. And I didn't know what I was going to do, so I figured, you know, someday I'll do something more than that. So I just played. There's like a lot of guitar and sloppiness all over home movies and stuff, and kind of <laughs> indie kind of style Cause stuff. Because when I saw you, it was like it was like Captain Mustache. Yeah, and yeah, you the Captain. I Mustache. love Captain. Ken- yeah, what? yeah, he's still around. Yeah, yeah, he's still around. He's still one hey, those guys, who did you? N- <laughs>
2: you, n- yeah, you never know not what,
1: very good guy,
2: Yeah. Uh, how what's going? Why would I try to watch a movie with their cell phone? <laughs> they could keep checking the. Uh, try to uh, turn it off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the idea—he was a uh, like a Boston comic that was supposed to be a guy that was going to hit,
1: but never did. He was a guy that actually in in this in the story of this character, he was pretty big for a while, but he never got out of Boston. So he influenced all these people. But then, like in the eighties, was, was there was well, there was a lot of well, no, there was a lot of people that I got to see when I was starting out in the late nineties in Boston who were really funny comics, but I think they'd kind of been away from it for a while, and they were getting back up on stage, so they were, like, all the old favorites were there, and they're totally hilarious and make you laugh and can run a room like nobody's business. But some of them were kind of like they had been out for a while, and they'd kind of lost their mind on Coke and, uh, you know, like, uh, on just booze, and this before everyone kind of recovered and everything. But uh, that was kind of my impression of that thing that was happening that people and I, I love Boston, I love Boston comics and uh and then it's kind of also my impression of my father trying to tell a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and just blowing it and just forgetting it. So and that was a big stand up in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. I think he may think he was. I always I like to say that every once in a while when people are really funny, like, you know what you should do? You should try stand up and see what it's really like bombing. <laughs> <laughs> My brother's really funny. You uh, should try it. You should try it. Did you give it he, try? He should really try <laughs> it.
0: Perform <laughs> 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 for one guy, yeah. <laughs> night after Going, night. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, how, what is what is what is music school like? And do you was it is it a good experience for a young musician to actually go to a focused? Uh,
1: I think music I think program. it's cool. I think it, it's it's what it, if you want to have some kind of a like. Luckily, I had a small understanding of what I wanted out of music school, which I think a lot of people don't like. Almost in any college, like they don't know what they want. But I knew that I wanted to get into the like um I wanted to get into composition. I wanted to learn how to write music and be able to find it faster and be able to understand just to be able to label things quickly. So we all like there are amazing musicians who don't read music and don't know theory or anything, but their ears are really well developed because they listen to great music their whole life and they just can kind of identify things. They don't know the names of all that stuff that they're identifying, but they're they're picking it out and they'll sit behind a guitar long enough and they'll come up with a beautiful melody or, you know, the stuff that they've learned in the past, like if they listen to Queen and stuff like that, that'll kind of turn up in their music because they've heard all these chords. And That's what Mike Furman's to... like. He never had formal training. It, but he's a great musician. But he can spy.
0: Yeah. You know, like he was the guy, Yeah. I think he sort of takes it for granted. Like, oh, yeah, most people just don't pick things up and then just start playing stuff they hear.
1: Yeah. And he'll go,
0: oh, yeah, I know, I think it's this. Here he's it is. Got and 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 yeah. guy, he's he got a great ear. He's got a super ear because he has yeah. no sense of smell. That's right. Oh, he has nice. to make
1: up for it by hearing things. <laughs> he smells with his ears. Yeah, he smells he with his ears. He smells music with his ears. Yeah, his ear smelling. Yeah but he is he is great and i've i've always noticed that about him and you you never did you study or no yeah but you you're a natural musician too not really yeah you, are. No, you got that voice yeah, you got a good yeah. voice that's hard that to melodica. do you <laughs> got that melodica you <laughs> got the melodica but you have i mean but some people it's then you're lucky because if you're not trying that, but everyone even like really great people have to try really hard and still make it good but um but when i was in music school i i realized that um the, all the composition classes and arranging classes I took would end up paying off at some point. And you end up kind of just having a favorite group of things that you like, you know. Like if I have an old Queen song that I like, I try to figure out, oh, why do those chords sound like that? What are they doing? So I'll go and try to analyze that. And then through music school anal- analysis, you kind of understand what they're doing, you know. That's right. I remember you and I went to a Halloween party one year in like, I
0: don't know, it might have been like '02 maybe or '03, but it, we went to Padgett Brewster's house. Oh, Yeah. And we were in the car, and uh, and we were and you had um, you had Night at the Opera, which is yeah. And uh, and I had Night at the Opera, but I hadn't listened to it in a long time. And you're like, yeah. oh, and you're, and you're like, you just, we gotta listen to this. It, like, we parked the car, and then we just listened to Prophet's song. Yeah. And I and I which hadn't is, really yeah. really listened to it, which is now since then has become one of my all time favorite songs. And you and the whole time you're explaining like he just locked himself in the studio, yeah. and then just like added yeah. all these. And I'd never, I just never had really paid attention to yeah. it before.
1: But it's a that's one of the fucking shocking
0: piece of music.
1: It really is one of the best. People ask me, like uh, even in the world of metal, because a lot of metal people sometimes they don't listen outside of metal. But the guys that do, like listen, like even Metallica, they have this Ennio Morricone kind of background yeah. and all these different things, like film score and this grandiosity about them and this epicness about them. But uh, um, Brian May, like those guys, were studied musicians who studied classical music and all that stuff. And then oh, he was also what. Uh, astrophysicist or whatever <laughs> yeah. you, you know all this stuff he, but he, he completely understands. that song is one of the most epic big songs it's about the end of the world too which is always <laughs> right. a good topic and he, he was uh, I think there was um, he talks about it in one of those uh, um, you know those uh, when they they take the record and they do the they, doc on the record yeah do the like documentary on Usually,
3: like, well, they're, classic they're on classic album series now. that's what yeah, it yeah. is so yeah. they have Just like the Steely
1: Dan and they have like all the nerdy and then they have the Queen one so I bought that one and, and Brian May talks about the Prophet song And he said, I wanted to write a song for like 15 year old boys to like, because it's about basically Dungeons and Dragons and the end of the world and then cool guitars and this big crazy etude that happens in the middle with Freddie Mercury's vocal. It's fucking nuts, especially
0: when you think about how people had to
1: record music. That, it was archaic they had to like they had tape and that was it and if and they had to bounce like eight guitars on one thing and if you screw that up you have to start, start over. over again you know <laughs> and they would have to run the tape around the room because they were and then put a flange on I know they put like headphones in a coffee can to get that old timey sound wow. on like good company that song with uh, you know anyway they did so much cool stuff uh, Roy Thomas Baker that's the producer just a lunatic madman who just made that album work. That thing holds up like crazy.
0: And yet, so we listened to that song and then, yeah. and
1: then I was just, ad- and then I was addicted to that song yeah. for months. Yeah, it's a great one. A lot of people don't know about that because everyone knows Bohemian Rhapsody off of, uh, off, Night at not opera. at the opera and like, You're My Best Friend and stuff like that, but not everyone knows about um, the Prophet song. I did, I covered that song with uh, the School of Rock kids one time. Oh, shit. And so I had like three guitarists and we learned all those all the the whole thing and they had like six vocalists and then we did rounds. So oh, wow. um the earth will shake the earth will, stay, baby, earth yeah. will shake
2: Death all around, 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 around,
1: around, around, around. So we had that all the way, and that was pretty crazy. But it it ended up working. It was really cool. That's That's really cool. Sometimes Uh, that's all you want to do is just start a cover band and play your favorite songs that never existed. Oh, yeah, every
0: day. There's so many songs I'm like, oh, I just want to cover that in a weird, I just want to cover that weird. You have covered crazy songs. We have covered crazy songs, yeah. So when when, when you and I first started talking, it was, uh, I remember it was at El Cid, and Furman and I, we were doing hard and firm stuff, and then right. and we did a you know we did whatever it was that we were doing at the time, and then you came up afterwards, and you were like, hey, I don't know if you, kn- I knew you was a comic, I didn't right, know you yeah. was a musician, and you're right. like, look, I, you know, I'm a guitar player, yeah. and you know, I have a little home studio thing, and yeah. you know, if you guys ever want right. to come do something, it'd right. be really fun, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was so long ago that I remember I brought like a twelve pack of beer to your house. That's how long ago it was,
2: <laughs>
1: um, and I probably drank all of it, but. Um, I don't remember that part, but I do. I do remember you guys showing up. Yeah. Doing it
0: really fast. Yeah, yeah. you were you, yeah. Was, you were living in Silver Lake. I was living so. in
1: Los Feliz. I remember. Yeah. Oh, um, on Rodney. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. It was yeah on Rodney. Right yeah. up the street from Wacko. Right up the street from Waco. Yeah. And uh, and so you said you said the magic words to us, which was always wanted to do a rock opera about Tron. Yeah. Now, my <laughs> yeah <yes. laughs> my history with that movie. Like we instantly bonded. You mean yeah, the yeah. magic words to yeah. close a vagina? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Go on. No, 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 no. You have to get your information disc and then break the wall down so that you can bury the information disc right in the case if you want to get into the uh, master control disc. <laughs> oh,
2: nice.
0: So, because um, uh, Mike and I were huge fans of Tron, and I would yeah. always been a huge fan of Tron. And at that time, no one else was really a huge fan of Tron. Like, it hadn't resurged. It was pre, yeah. The, yeah. Like, we're ahead of t- we it, were ahead of the time. It was so, because <laughs> Disney had considered that movie a complete failure. And even right. on the DVD of Tron, they get stuff about the movie wrong. Like, they say, oh, and, you know, Flynn's quest to take down the master
1: control panel.
0: Uh, it was not right. the,
1: master, the Master Control program. Anyway, you should know that if you're the, fucking putting out the, the DVD. Tra- well, they had the old trailers. I remember, I think the first time I saw and I, I Go and check this out. I, maybe someone else can call in. I know this is not a lie, but at some point after this is aired. Just call, Chris. But I think I saw a trailer, and the voiceover said, In a wild.
2: <laughs> I swear to God. I swear
1: to God. In the void, <laughs> computers. <laughs> it was like this old vaudevillian voice You want to got, get sucked in? Yeah. They got blue. So, they yeah. got red. Yeah, they so, got every color. Ultimately,
0: ultimately, what we all did was <laughs> to write a twelve-minute rock opera about Tron. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> which we never recorded. Yeah. Oh, we started. At- It it was, uh, I saw yeah. it, I think, almost every time they did it. Yeah, He's, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah So yeah. it really is all the movements of Tron. Yeah. And there's like six different pieces of music oh, man, in it. Yeah. it or you, started a, you started, you started, You're started, you, you were the first vocal. It's like, yeah.
1: I am a scientist so strong. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, yeah. And
0: then it's all about breaking down the orange in the yeah. thing, Si- our warehouse size hard drive hold 16k There's oh, dumb
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and then it just basically <laughs> goes through all the movements of Tron we, and should, it, wow.
1: we should record that and it, yeah. it, I would
0: love to because we did it it was you and me and Furman and then our friend Lee Farber who wrote oh, for right. the soup right. who played drums and um, so we got the song down and we started performing it around town which is a very big undertaking because most comedy shows are just basically one microphone and a yes. PA yeah. and that's it. And it was yeah. before any theater spaces were doing Yeah, it was like shows. Fake Gallery and M-Bar and, yeah. and places like that. So we would come in with this whole band setup, up. Yeah. Drums and everything. You had a projector at M-Bar once. Well, we, we brought, yeah, we brought yeah. a fucking CRT television set. I'm not going to lie, I would be so oh, mad. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: would be so mad.
0: As another performer? Yeah.
1: Oh, is it? Oh, yeah.
0: The original stage at M-Bar 2 was very small so it was yeah. like we were all crammed. And so we we basically cut um, a version of the movie right, right. to play along so because people couldn't really why don't we why don't you guys, why don't you guys record it and then we'll just animate it we could do that for you our could, channel you, for our YouTube you channel should, we could totally yeah. make it but um, it was so much fun and we never got a good recording of yeah. it and, uh, and then we did it like six times and Furman and I were like Oh my God, we're gonna we're gonna tour this all over the world. And Brendan, because he's a music prodigy, was like, "I'm gonna go. I think I want to do something else." Like he, like he did. You did it. Like we did it like six times, and you're like, "We got it." Oh yeah, yeah. We should we should though record it. I would love to.
1: I think shortly thereafter, I started getting into Metalocalypse. I think I sold the show, and I think I just kind of disappeared into a studio for seven years which is what i have been doing yeah
0: well i remember uh speaking of you know when he lived down the street from wacko yeah. i ran into brendan at wacko
1: and he had a, just a stack of uh heavy metal books oh that's like, right uh, like yeah i those. had like i think i had just maybe i got the 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 church burning one the norwegian um, lords of chaos I yeah think i yeah. to just kind of check out everything that was just because um, you know this, my whole relationship with metal is I grew up listening to it. And when you play guitar in suburbia, you put, you're gonna cross paths with metal. You're gonna... so that was like the first thing I ever learned. I you hadn't even heard. I bet so this song. many
3: kids today think that that song is made for Iron Man the movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, they think it's yeah. But um, that was but the first, I, I was the first thing drums. I learned was just that power chord shape. <laughs>
0: But I don't know why, but Furman and I always used to sing lyrics to that song. We'd go <laughs>
3: Nobody likes me.
1: But that's the thing is, you learn all the, you learn the well, you learn metal, and then I learned. Then I was very sh- quickly. I, I I grew up on like Andrew Lloyd Webber and all that stuff around my house too. So Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita were always playing, and then I listened to King Diamond, and I it was yes. a very short <laughs> distance between. Andrew Lloyd Webber and King Diamond. It's just the guitars were louder and there were double kicks and he was doing <laughs> a thousand voices. And he was telling stories, though, with his music. So King Diamond is from Denmark and he's this. Uh, he had a band called Merciful Fate first. And uh, Metalheads just go insane for him whenever you... And we got him to do voices on Metal too. Oh, no too. way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> I called him. I called him at home. I think I maybe told you this story <laughs> on your podcast. So King Diamond is like this Danish evil, the Prince of Darkness from Denmark. and And I got his number through, like, Metallica's management or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, they gave it to me and I said, Hey, I have got to get in touch with King Diamond. I think he'd be great as a voiceover guy. I mean, we're you know, this whole show is about honoring metal and all that stuff. I, I think he'd be the perfect voiceover guy, because he'd do like a million different voices. And uh they said, Okay, here's the number. And I said, Well, what do you what do you call him when you you don't call him King Diamond, like he's I mean, he's not really a king, is he? <laughs> <laughs> he's a king of diamonds. The king of diamonds? Um <laughs> No, he's just he plays cards. That's why. That's right. yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, she said, I don't know. I don't know what to call him. So, uh, so I, I got his number, and uh, he like lives in Texas or something. Jesus. I was like King Diamond in Texas. That doesn't make any sense. And I called And I just called her remember ring. And I hear someone say, "Hello." <laughs> and I said, "Is is King Diamond there?"
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: One moment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is King Diamond. How you doing? <laughs> and it was like, yeah, this is the friendliest, nicest guy in the world. I mean, you realize all these people in comedy and music are all like a bunch of silly carnival barkers trying to lure someone over. Check this out. You know, it's a person with a beard or whatever it is, you know. But, uh, but he was super cool. And so, that, so that's uh, – the, the, the thing is, and that's what kind of led me to the project that, that I just did with Metalocalypse was all that stuff from rock opera stuff to storytelling stuff to the metal stuff so I got into all this metal stuff and, I, and then in music school you get all confused about what you like because you start taking country guitar labs and all kinds of like <laughs> crazy shit where you're like doing all you know, like a... I had a brief flirtation with
2: Rockabilly
1: <laughs> like the Chet Atkins style yeah. so you take all these different kind of labs and you're trying to figure out Could
0: you, Do any metal songs translate over to country or do, are the riffs just too different? Well Chet Atkins
1: Mr. Sandman's <laughs>
2: <Pretty
1: good. laughs> yeah. Chit Ackens is good. But um, yeah, you know what? They're flat picking stuff. They're like super like crazy.
2: You know,
1: they have really brilliant- flat pickers back in the old like uh was the US when you were going Bryant. to berkeley was the was that daddy's junkie music yeah there's, there a, on Mass the, Ave? there's an old yeah there's a, a place kind of like the guitar center before guitar center owned everything there was a place called daddy
3: daddy's junkie music well right the across guitar from. center took it over uh yeah. and uh i love still when i go to boston like i'll be there this weekend i will go into that store and just listen to the kids coming in like oh yeah yeah and like because they'll always be like They'll always be looking for whatever guitar is of the style they're trying to like. They're like, "Oh, we're doing flat picking, and I need a I need a Telecaster." Like it's right, always. Right. Yeah. And you'll, I really you'll enjoy hear the it. same.
1: Sh- the thing is, like time, time is frozen inside of that place. It's mm-hmm. still where every single guitar riff kind of goes to live. Like. You hear that still on
2: week. like two. Drops like two.
1: Hear all those riffs that never die.
0: <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Were you a Jerry Reed fan at all?
1: I, you know, I, I knew his guitar playing and he was a great guitar player but uh, I didn't go deep into his world but he's awesome. It's pretty, uh, and yeah. then um, Lindsey Buckingham is a guy that I I'm He's great and Lindsey Buckingham is
0: like, I play like him because
1: I pick. He plays, I mean, he with a pick, you know? It's pretty amazing. Jeff backs the same way.
2: Can you do
0: classical guitar at all, or is that a whole
1: different discipline? It's, it's a different... Doesn't sound that great on this...
3: Could you take Can down you Ralph Somersault? Macchio? I want him to take down Ralph Macchio at the crossroads.
1: crossroads. <laughs> oh, that one. Oh, I don't think I could do that right now. I think it'd be fantastic. <laughs> Satriani, I was yeah, into Satriani though. Summer
2: song, yeah. one of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs>
1: But that's something about Metaloclips too, is I got in touch with all my guitar heroes. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them. So Satriani and Steve Vai came and did voices, and Billy Gibbons came and did voices. Yeah, that's and awesome. They're all great. and You know, every the guys from the world of the metal, from, from like, Cannibal Corpse to Metallica to... They all love comedy. They're all comedy. You probably have learned this as you've met tons of... Oh, yeah,
0: musicians always... There, there's, all, there's definitely this sort of symbiotic, like, yeah. we as comics want to be rock stars, and rock stars yeah. want to be funny. Like, yeah. there's this sort of, like... There is this sort of mutual, like, oh, that's all, how do you do that? Yeah. And then they're going, oh, yeah. fuck, how do you We're do We're living yeah.
3: each other's dreams. I know, so. I know. <laughs> but
1: a comic, like, you know, when you when you just have a microphone on stage and everything's working, you're in complete control. That's where a musician goes, i got to drag a drum kit around.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. kind yeah. of reaction <laughs> everywhere. I mean, they're pretty much the same, except in comedy, there's less money and sex.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Music's taking a big nose type, guys. <laughs> <laughs> or the sex. Still sex, yeah. No, you'll get you can you can you, you realize there's a, someone with low enough self esteem to have sex with you out there. Yeah. Oh, Everyone, every venue, those. yeah.
0: Even yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. If America, you want even America. less self esteem. They'll uh, fuck a comedian. Yeah.
0: There's that. Um, <laughs> there's that. Uh, the on when the Fleetwood Mac when Fleetwood Mac did the reunion in '97 and they did the yeah. da- the dance and Lindsey Buckingham comes out and plays Big Love by himself. Right. And he's fucking. It's like the t- like his three bottom fingers are picking, but then with his thumb he's playing yeah, the I bass at the same that. time. Yeah. Where it's almost like classical
1: rock thing at the same time. That's the thing about guitars. You know, everyone's pretty much everyone at this table has a guitar somewhere. Yeah. But to sound like, to play like four or five notes and to know who the guitarist is, yeah, is amazing. Does, like, Lindsey Buckingham has his own voice on the instrument. Plus, he's a great songwriter. He has a great singing voice and all that stuff. And Fleetwood Mac's amazing. It wouldn't be the same without him. But, yeah, how, how does a person develop a style on... How do you on, develop your... Because I, I was, you know, with a comedy voice at least, like, oh, you use your words. But with a with
0: guitar, you know, I guess...
1: Yeah, when you're a com- comedian, there's like no one in competition when you know, there's no one really in competition with what you're doing when you're doing a personal story on stage. No one did that, just you. So no one can be on guitar, everyone can everyone can grab, but I, I noticed it's with vibrato, so <laughs> Like getting that right vibrato to make it sound like Angus Young. Getting that faster kind of a thing that he does, or you know, that's, that doesn't sound like Brian May, really, because he he actually vibrato is totally wrong but I'm, I'm trying my best to make it sound like him using, but it's not you're working using tone, yeah. you're
0: using tone and then like whatever sort of pedals they have and then it's that
1: but you know it's really funny it took me like 20 years of guitar playing to realize that you, a good guitar plugged into a good amp is what everyone's got and everything else is your fault it's like this guy <laughs> or this guy not talking to each other you know Everything else is your fault. You have to like make that sad realization because guitar players we buy into that idea that there's a piece of gear out there that's going to make you uh, sound good. Pedal chasers. I, but yeah, and that's what you. I mean, but what else are you going to do? Yeah, you know, you, know, you want to. Like, oh, you're you talking wanna, to the record. Right what guy. am I going to like? Who doesn't go on eBay and fantasize about stupid crap? They want to like. My girlfriend's looking at shoes, while I'm looking at like pedals and boutique nerdy amps. Or yeah, like, it's, oh, it's my speaker cone. No, it's this. But <laughs> Jeff Beck plays out of a little tiny like tweed amp for you know eight thousand people yeah. and just. Makes the thing sing, and yeah. he doesn't even have a pick or anything. He's yeah. got a guitar cable. That's his only extra thing. I remember when you were developing. It was right around the same time. You probably ran into
0: Jonah at the at Wacko with right. one of the books. But you know, at, at the time, you would also go. Uh, oh, you you say like, have you ever heard Cannibal Corpse? Like, I, I want to do something like that. Yeah. But it's like, but you can't understand any of the words. Yeah, yeah. And 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 then you went and fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is it mind bendy at all that? You know that uh, in that genre of music, which you were essentially paying homage to, and and in some sense of satirizing, it's like now you're the like your album that uh, you have the most successful selling.
1: Oh yeah, it was like the highest charting. I think was the thing is we we charted higher than any other metal or extreme metal, death metal. I think in that in that specific genre, we're the number one death metal cartoon band of all time. No one can take that away. Not one other death metal cartoon. No, there's not one other one. Well, there's one but they sold, like, one less record than us. <laughs> <laughs> the Chipmunks. The if you, I realized, yeah, if you, if you, um, if you uh, make your category so specific, no one can ever compete with that either. <laughs> well, that's yeah. true, but,
0: but, people do, but you do.
1: But like, people do, like, no, for some reason. Well, here's the thing is, you know, we were messing around with music, and I was kind of getting back into the idea of being a guitar player kind of for, in addition to being a comedy writer and a showrunner and all that stuff. But I wanted to... Um, When I had an opportunity to put the first record out, I thought, how many opportunities am I going to get? This should sound good. The music should be something you'd actually... In addition to this silly world that we've created, it should be something that you'd want to actually hear. You know, you just want to get to the end. How many songs have you listened to you're like, I don't need to hear where that goes. (laughs) I don't need to hear that. I get the idea. It's music. The guy's playing drums and you're singing some crappy melody. And who cares about any of that stuff? So the idea is how do you make it... How do you want to... How do you put something in your CD player that you, that you don't want to take out? Like, what is that? You know, what, and how do you get to that? That to writing music that makes you want to leave a CD in your CD player?
0: Well, especially with comedy, and you it's know. sort of the um... and
1: that's that's ancient talk CD player, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it, but but the idea the flash of, drive. yeah.
0: Of, the idea of finding the thing that ultimately that you do, like, like the thing that sort of puts your stamp on the world, is you know. Kind of asking yourself, like, what are what are all the things that I like to do, and, I and know, yeah. you know, and and taking other disciplines and mashing them together to create something that no one's really seen yeah. before I mean, like, you know, one of the big things, like, when Tenacious D first came around, was comedy comedy bands up to that point were you know, um, there's a bathroom on the right, you know, it was yeah, just like yeah, that, yeah. and there yeah. wasn't really, yeah, it wasn't music that, like you said, that you'd want to listen
1: to, but right. then. Oh, my God. They can fucking... He
0: can sing. He can sing, like, crazy. Yeah. And amazing. And
1: their music is... Their music writing is outstanding. Yeah. There's really strong... Mu- and it's Those it guys are great musicians. Like and then it's funny two, on top of yeah. that. But they're also... These guys that have the power of, like, a thousand people that are plugged in with these two acoustic guitars, it's just amazing. They're just... They have so much... Jack Black's voice is great. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... But yeah, I think I was that's what I was wondering, because you know, you do see guys with acoustic guitars doing parody stuff on stage every once in a while. Or at least I saw that when I was starting out, and I thought, this is really making me laugh, and it's actually really funny, but I don't want to do that. I wanna do something else, and it's gonna be I think it's gonna involve me plugging this thing in, and that's gonna be part of the difference. So that's where metal also came from. Plus the other thing you were saying is finding something that you like and you're and you're kind of interested in it's really stupid because I was just talking about Cannibal Corpse and talking about metal and like all these Norwegian and all these uh, black metal bands and stuff. And I had, and I was in the middle. I think I'd sold a show to the Sci-Fi Network, like an animated thing. And uh, I was just complaining about like how long it's taken and just all kinds of crap. And my buddy from the Venture Brothers, Chris McCulloch, said, I don't understand. You're sitting here, you're complaining about this show. That sounds like it's funny and it's probably going to work, but... But all you – you realized – I don't know if you realize this, but all you're saying – all you're talking about is cannibal corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you make a show about that? And I was like, I can't believe I, – I stood there and just, like, was like, I can't believe you had to tell me that. <laughs> well – And those, that's exactly what I said. I was like, I just had no idea that – but that's the but thing. That's what I've been talking about
0: the whole time. That's the thing is that um, sometimes you don't have the right perspective on stuff. And when you, when you think about work, I think it's a function of the generation that we grew up in where our parents – our parents' generation was sort of like, well, work is this, and it's a thing that you do that you right. have to do, and, right. and play is your own hobby, and you right. keep that separate. Yeah. and Because for me, it was the same thing when I, when I started all the Nerdist stuff. I was like, sure. oh, wait a minute. What if I actually worked on stuff that I cared about? Right, you know? yeah. And, and, and yeah. it does sound like a, well, of course, that's so simple. Why wouldn't you do that? But it really doesn't occur to you at yeah. first because the things you like are so close to your heart that yeah. you don't think, oh, that should be my job.
1: You just right. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't intuitively think that. You, I, you know, it takes like it. Yeah. So what got you to that? How did you get to that
3: place? Is just, just you getting just getting woke... kicked
0: in the face by the business for fifteen <laughs> yeah. years or for, you, for twelve yeah. or thirteen sure. years, Our whatever email it was.
3: Came on January 9th, two thousand ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, it was.
0: Really? It really was just. It was just time and time again of like, oh man, I lost another job or this thing didn't get picked up, and I didn't really care that much about it to begin with, but I still feel bad about it, and, yeah. and I think just kind of going. I think I just want to take ownership over it, and I only want to work on stuff I care about. At least that way, right? Even if I can just scrape by, sure. At least I will be happy because I'm doing stuff that I care about.
1: That's great. Yeah, that's a tough one to uh, that's a tough one to, to figure out. That thing that you're like, what do I, what do I, what am I interested in saying? Most or people just, don't know. Most people. You know, don't. It is hard to do. You'd have to keep talking until you say it. Well, most people don't even know. What
0: they want to say, nor do they know what they want. Like if right. you said, what do you want? People go, I don't know more yeah. of something.
2: That's funny because when
0: you were introducing the uh, Metalocalypse uh, rock opera at oh, the, Vista, premiere. Yeah. the premiere, yeah, premiere, um, yeah, you uh, you started talking about like you started with telling a story about sitting around with uh, Eugene.
1: Oh and yeah, you. and that's it. Kind of is the same conversation. Yeah. yeah. So what? So I went and um, I just because we'd all work so hard and putting an animated show together, it's just. Tons of hours of just waiting for renders to finish. And and everyone's working really hard. And they, don't have, they can really go home if they want to. They don't have to put the extra hours in. But they all started really, particularly on this project, really started giving a shit even more. Like all the compositors and animators and people were just like, I'm sticking around just in case you need me. I'm going to be eating pizza in the back. But if something fucks up, you come and get me. And you're like, you, you're allowed to go home. You're not getting paid for this. We ran out of money a long time ago. And... Um, but they all really cared and it was really nice too and then they all just like they were all so good the team had gelled so well this, this for this particular project that I wanted to say something nice to them up top and I, I think um, we're also the, the, doing a one hour rock opera anime special was something I hadn't seen before and it reminded me of back when I had started out just started getting on on stage with Eugene and doing a comedy night with him and I remember us walking to or from the venue to our house that we lived in and we just saw all these comics, and we just thought, we're lucky enough to get stage time kind of whenever we want it. And the question for us is, what are we doing? What are we doing now that we have the microphone in our face? What are we saying? And I see so many people where I can guess the punchline of the joke before it happens, or it's a thing, or it's another thing. But it may not be, for me, I was like, I don't know if it's going to be stand-up, or it's going to be something creative. And this is like pre-home movies, but I thought... As, and we just kind of made this pact that like, as long as we do something, we should make sure it's not something else. So it should be the thing. doing like, What are you going to do when you get there? Do something different. Right. doesn't matter what it is. Just do something different. Right. And you may end up starting a business that no one else can start because you're the only you out there, you know. So then, you know, then I said, hey, tonight, we're going to do something I hadn't seen before, which is a one-hour rocket opera with the 50-piece orchestra <laughs> and uh, the lead singer from Cannibal Corpse singing with me and then Malcolm McDowell and Mark Hamill singing also and Jack Black singing and uh, great vocalists and musicians all around and, and just putting this thing into a big crazy thing that, that actually went back to everything that I'd grown up on from Tommy to uh, Jesus Christ Superstar to uh, the metal stuff to King Diamond to all that stuff all kind of wrapped into one little thing. So That
0: yeah, was great. Does it ever freak uh,
1: you out at all? Doing all that stuff? Well, just
0: freak you out in the sense of
1: like... I got to do everything I wanted to do? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Um, It's it's funny because I think I created a job for myself that's kind of the ultimate job for me, but there's... Don't, don't worry, you'll always be dissatisfied and want something else.
2: <laughs>
1: I knew it. Yeah, don't worry. That's always there, guys. Well, what am I going
0: to do if I fulfill all my dreams, and then I, I, should, I should ostensibly be happy?
1: Yeah, what are you going to do, right? But don't worry, that doesn't happen. Oh, It's <laughs> yeah, 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 not yeah. just a I'll hole, it's an endless pit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I, I was doing tons of comedy when I started out. I was still doing the Tomorrow Show with Ron Lynch and Craig Anton every weekend, and... Um, and I was uh I was doing tons and tons of stand up. Then I then I started doing the, the records and the touring, so I just all my time went away. But now, like over the last year I've been going out and doing stand-up again. And uh it's really funny how slack those muscles can get if you're not if you're not up on stage every night. I bombed, like so <laughs> hard. I went and did a show in Brooklyn and it was just so uncomfortable and long and I was and uh and uh it was, it was amazing. It was such a long trip home back from that thing. And I was like, right, <laughs> right. And then I was like, well, that's not why I didn't. I think of the last big comedy show I'd done before, it was like a 40-minute set where I'd improvised half of it. And it was like, oh, here I am. I can do whatever I want. And, but then, like all, then later on, I went back, and I just sucked terribly. Well, you know what happens is that when you it, – you know, as
0: a comic, one of the greatest things that can happen is that people come see you on purpose. And, right. then, and then all of a sudden you're performing for your tribe. Right. Which is great. Right. But what happens is yeah. you get a little spoiled. Yeah. So then when you go guest on someone else's show... Sure. ...where people didn't come to see you... Right. ...that's where... It's like, oh right, I have to be a comic, I can't just be me, right. and people aren't just going to accept yeah. that because they don't know and they don't give a shit.
1: That's, you have to like show up, you have to be confident and have materials <laughs> ready to go. But it's good to have and, those experiences. But that to was, to no, it was so good. It was, it was, uh, I, and I remembered every single thing I'd ever done in my life has always been uh, prefixed with a major failure and an embarrassment at the top. Like my first real guitar playing in front of people, I, I was 15 years old and I'd... I was in a guitar competition that my, my stupid friend talked me into because <laughs> I think he talked me into because I was just a little bit worse than him so there's no way he could come in last place <laughs> but I sucked so horribly that night. It was like a three to five minute piece and my, I was so nervous my hands didn't work and it was just terrible I was just I remember my sister was in the audience and with her cheerleader friends and I was sitting there just really like not for, for, the, for the cheerleaders
2: No, so not it was, of you it was like when
3: Marty McFly's hands started disappearing
1: it was like that, but my hands were there, so I didn't have an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember, you're finally I can't play guitar, and my hands are disappearing. You didn't have the excuse like the space time continuum because yeah. his father's going to meet the wrong woman. Exactly. I didn't have that excuse going for me. But I went home, and I remember just like I had like, this moment with my guitar, which humiliating myself. After, you know, in school, people go, What are you doing on the weekends? I go, I play guitar. I go, like, oh, Really? Yeah, and I would play it for you right now, but there's no guitar. <laughs> so you're going to have to take my word for it. Then everyone finally came and me played guitar, and I was the worst guitarist in the world. So what
0: do you do on the weekends? Yeah.
1: Mm, nice guitar playing. It was terrible. Like, from anybody's point of view, it was like, that is some bad guitar playing. And I remember I flipped open my case, and I looked at my guitar, and I looked at my hands, and I thought... What happened out there guys? This, this we can't we can't experience this again. This is bad, you know. This is really really I I don't think it's gotten this bad before. This is about the worst it's ever been. We've been together for 15 know, years guys. I know. I know, but I but yeah. And I was just like you between you and me and then like I didn't I didn't factor in that the playing in front of people was going to rack my nerves and cause lactic acid to build up and <laughs> seize my joints or whatever it was, but uh but I, uh, I remember thinking, like, you know, the two weeks that I practiced before this were the two weeks I've ever, the hardest practicing I'd ever done. I woke up at, like, 4 in the morning. I practiced before school. I stayed up. I got, like, two hours of sleep for two weeks. But something happened where I noticed some major improvement where I was concentrating on the instrument in a different way where, like, I have no choice but to correct this mistake. I have no choice. But the nerves got me. So I could have probably played in my bedroom with nobody watching a lot better. But in front of those people, I sucked. And so I made a deal with myself that, like, uh, if I can keep up this practice regimen and I'm not a thousand times better by this time next year, then I'll quit. So that was, like, the thing. And, and, like, because of embarrassments, because of bombing, because of all that stuff, that's the only way that I get good. And that's why, you know, it's funny. I've written all these songs and records and all that stuff, but the only reason I do it is because i don't i look like a real jerk
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well that because i said i was gonna
0: that yeah. also like being accountable to people is yeah. good and, yeah. then, and then on top of that it's uh you know everyone will bomb but it's then like what do you do with that and some, yeah and some people would have taken that guitar case and
1: been like yeah that's the end of you yeah yeah well that was fun yep <laughs> Bye, good riddance <laughs> yeah Yeah, but it's that bombing and i think i think that sets things in motion and also the truth is that Nobody really gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> you can bomb and make the whole room feel uncomfortable, and they kind of avert, avert their eyes as they walk out and they see you there. Hi, thanks for coming. Yeah. And you've like made everyone feel weird as they're <laughs> exiting. But is that how you get them back? That's how I got them back. Guys, listen, I you know I realized I was kind of weird up <laughs> But um, but you know a year or two from then. You know, no one's, or even less than that, no one's gonna really care unless you really like implode on stage or something like that. Well, I also find that you you can also bomb gracefully, yeah. So that even
0: if people aren't laughing or they don't get what you're doing, if you don't freak out, yeah, then they're fine with it. Like you, yeah. and, and it, you know, it, you know, they're not gonna say you were the funniest comic. You were right, but you yeah. could still you could still leave the stage and be likable just by right. like ah, you know, I thought this would work and it didn't, but uh all right, you know, yeah. whatever. And, and then if you're fine with it, then they we'll have a natural inclination to be like, oh, I guess it's okay. Like what totally, they're, what they're yeah. feeling is the sort of dissonance between they're, they're, they're feeling your internal dissonance when you freak out, when you bomb. Absolutely. And, and it reminds them of that. They hate feeling that way. Right. And then yeah. Yeah. They go yeah. from a, they yeah. go from a, a crowd full of people that are being led down this journey to yeah. a bunch of people who are, have a mirror in front of them like, oh, this is like that nightmare I always have. Yeah. And yeah, you're making yeah. them feel it. Absolutely. So if yeah. you don't, if you don't, freak out about it I know yeah even if they're not laughing yeah
1: I I remember learning that. I remember uh, asking somebody when I first started out in comedy it's so strange in comedy that was the big the biggest difference between music and comedy that I learned was that you can be you can throw a rock and hit 400 guitar players who are not going to ever work in their life (laughs) you start doing comedy and people from the networks come out immediately and you have to not you have to avoid them to not be seen too early I remember people from (laughs) Fox were coming out to the comedy studio and um and I remember, I was like, I'm not going to perform. That's a Fox rep, and I'm just starting out, and I suck. I mean, I, I know, I've been up there. <laughs> I hear what's not happening, you know? Um, and I, I remember asking her at the time, I said, well, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but what are you looking for when you see a comic? And she goes, at this point, I'm looking for someone who can bomb comfortably. Oh, wow. You know? Wow. And that was it. And, I, and then I remembered also my buddy, Bill Broadus, who wrote with me on Home Movies, he's also a writer on Dr. Katz. He had a great story about the audience not being with him and getting on Letterman as a comic because he went to do a show and basically the audience, the camera only sees the performer. They don't have like a crane sweeping over the audience and all that stuff when you're just like at some club taping for a show. And so he knew that they were taping that night and he just said, I'm going to fuck this shit. There's nobody here. No one's laughing at anything. I'm up next. I'm going to act like I'm doing really well and he did he acted like he did really well and he's you know and just like sat back there after and just like paused like where the (laughs) big moments would be and swaggered and really enjoyed every moment but he had that confidence and then he got booked wow holy shit but he said it's it was because he pretended that he was doing well you know and I remember that stage fright that I had back then would follow me to you know stand-up and all that stuff you have to really confront it and um I remember watching people, and I thought, okay, I'm not relaxed on stage. I can't think clearly. But I see people that do. So how how does a relaxed person stand? So if you start faking this relaxed thing, you put the audience in the mood of relaxation, even though on the inside you're, like, jittery or weird or whatever it is in those early days of stand-up. So I remember just going, oh, I see this guy. He looks like the most relaxed comic on stage. What is he doing with his arm? now okay he's walking over the- I just remember watching all that stuff yeah. and just. so they're,
0: to- getting, they're getting visual cues but the other thing that that, yeah. that, that that does is that you can sort of reverse engineer your body where usually you sort of I think people assume that their emotions drive their, um, uh, their body language right but if you do like you're saying if you you as- start if relaxing, you assume yeah. then it sends messages back to your brain that you're okay yeah. and it actually does you start, affect your yeah, brain yeah
1: you may be right and also yeah that's like the actor's breathing thing and all that stuff Eventually, you start breathing slower. It's almost like if you work out and you're like, you're yeah, breathing yeah. really fast. And go, hey, idiot, breathe slower. And you start breathing slower. Then all of a sudden, you start relaxing, and you're not as exhausted as you were. Yeah, stupid stuff like that. So what? Uh, so what do you have? Uh, what do you have coming out? What I well, so what I'm I'm out promoting is I, I. So when I when I wanted to do this rock opera thing, I thought, again, just like every every opportunity that I have where I get paid to do it, I consider that to possibly be my last one Like they're, they're going to be on to me and it's going to stop so if I'm going to do a rock opera I want to do it right I want to get I want to get a 50 piece orchestra to play with me so I talked to Barry McCreary who does the music he it just won an, for Walking Dead Walking Dead yeah. yes and he just won an Emmy for Da Vinci's Demons I think and he did Battlestar Galactica and he also does Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. so he's a super talented guy and he and I met and he was a fan of the music of Death Clock uh, on the show and so he was asking me like how I arrange guitars and all kinds of stuff like that and I'd listen to his stuff so we were we ended, we ended up doing a benefit concert for like an AIDS benefit on Freddie Mercury's the anniversary of his death like 2 years ago at the Roxy scene. we had three guitarists and 11 vocalists oh, wow. and we did all of our favorite songs and we I had the best seat in the house cuz I had two great guitar players with me on either side, and we were doing these three-part harmonies that you hear from, like, Flash Gordon to everything that you've ever wanted to do. Um, Good old-fashioned Lover Boys, just amazing solos and all that stuff, and I'm sitting in between these two loud amps going, this is what it must have... Brian May never got to do this because he was only one guitarist live, so we wanted it to sound like the record, and that was our whole thing, and it sounded so great, and we don't get to do it that often because everyone does everything for free if it's a benefit, but if it's not a benefit, no one can afford that many musicians (laughs) on stage. So um, so I said, hey, listen, I, uh, I want to find out how much this costs. I wanted to. Do you have, like, a budget breakdown? And Barry McCreary has, like, a whole team of people. And he goes, well, if you want X amount, it's going to cost this much. If you want this, it's going to cost that much. And he gave me these different demarcation points. of, And I finally said, okay, I think if I'm going to do this, I'm going to put out a record. And I think the network's kind of, like, finances would only cover a small amount, so... I think I'm going to pay for a lot of this stuff myself because I want the experience. Even if it goes tits up, I'll learn something. And it's and it's going to sound really good. And if I ever want to get into film scoring or anything, I'll have this whole reel of stuff. But ultimately, I think it's going to be cool and worth it. So I decided to get together with him and, and he uh, arranged. Uh, he took my ideas and made them way cooler and gave some voices to different instruments where I had them on... Like different French horns doing something, he put something in the cello instead. Oh, uh, but I have the whole score there, and it was really cool to see how he worked. And he is just an amazing professional, easy to work with, and works really quickly. It does insanely good stuff. So, um, so that was a really cool thing to do. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, to involve these other vocalists too. His wife sang on it. Bear uh, Bear's wife, Rhea and she has an amazing voice. So any of the female vocals you hear on the Doomstar Requiem, which is what it's called, <laughs> a clock opera, nah. um, and. Uh, <laughs> You'll hear her, and then I, like I said, we had these other cool people like Jack Black came up and sang a few things, and he was great, uh, so easy to work with, and just a like great pitch, just amazing pitch, and does not yeah. mess around, or he's just good, and powerful. Um, and then yeah, Cannibal Corpse, George Corpse, Grinder Fisher came and sang. You can hear it when it's him, it's scary, it's extra scary sounding. And that's, that was the idea, so I thought, I'm going to put out this, this special, because it only airs once, really, and then they'll air it a few other times, but this music has to be really cool, and I have to like it a lot. And I get to add all these different kinds of elements of music, not just metal, because the way I thought about it, which is the way I think about the music on the show, is there only can be one metal moment if it's like wall-to-wall crazy, like, you know the whole time your ear's just going to tune out you know even though it's loud and crazy so you have to counterbalance that with really quiet moments and kind of symphonic stuff and whatever so I figured that's what I'm going to do with this I'm going to have start off with this big epic fanfare and then go into rock and further into metal and then contradict every other song stylistically to keep your ear alert and to want to go back and listen and hear the story and all that stuff so that's available Mm, that's That's now available on iTunes and um and on my website brendansmall.com and uh and there's a libretto that you can download and follow along with. So it's the whole story. It's basically the script of the, of the whole thing. That, that, uh, um, and uh, you can check that out. And there's like a featurette with me working with all the actors, like Malcolm McDowell and all that stuff and getting them to sing and finding uh, their pitches and all that stuff. It was pretty funny, yeah. And Mark Hamill's in it, too. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, pretty awesome. So what do you think is the – and you're going to play a couple things – I can, I can play them on guitar, or, we, or you can play some tracks of this stuff if you want to. We'll Either figure or. Out. Yeah. Kyle, I have to send you on an errand. Yes. Um,
0: take a my hand meter's hand about to I'll expire. Do you know where... You, so I'll tell you where to go. Okay. Just uh, turn right out of here, go past the DMV up Formosa, and it's the first, like, street. With the meters on it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I'm on the other side of the street. Just max it out. John and
3: I totally have tickets.
1: <laughs> max it uh, out. $30,000. Thirty, 30 dollars No. <laughs> that's like your spot then. Yeah, it's
0: yeah. my fucking. There's
3: definitely. a yeah, you Lefty a spot. 63 Strat at uh, Guitar Center. It's
0: twenty three thousand. Guitar Center. There won't Are be. There, head- head- there will be another. There won't be prices like this until next Tuesday.
2: Um,
1: yeah, you know what? Do you ha- do you have a way to play tracks on the show?
0: We can drop them in after.
1: Yeah, that's what I figured. Maybe I'll set up a couple things for sure. you to check out. that would be great. And uh, I can play you like a riff of one of the songs. Uh, but it was, it was a fun process because I had the idea for this, this thing. And it is a story. You have to go story first, you know. You can't just start writing the music. You have to like have the story mapped out. So I got together with um, two other writers, Janine DeTulio, who used to write on, oh, yeah. uh, on uh, Conan back in the day. And then she was on Home Movies as a voice actor. And she's just a really great writer, just a great structure person and stuff. And then Mark Brooks, who's been a writer and director on the show f- for a long time. And we sat, in, um, we sat in a room, just the three of us, and uh, I just kind of pitched this whole thing, you know, and I knew what the top of it was. I knew what this big section was with the uh, – this there's a big flashback in the, in the thing, and I'll, and I'll probably set that up. Um, actually, I am setting it up. Are you guys still recording and all that stuff?
0: Yeah. He's still recording.
1: Yeah. So the whole thing started with this idea that this story is a rescue story. That's the whole thing. It's this big kind of like I wanted to take. A, we we left the last season with the abduction of a guitarist and a love interest of a lead singer, and um, what I wanted to do is have a, a kind of an action like a, it's a hero's journey very much. Like every single thing is completely based off of the uh, Joseph Campbell stuff, like his outline. It's a three act thing, and. Um, and uh, you know it's about it's it's basically in the in the hero's journey the hero gets the call and then you know you get you set up status quo and you get the call which is, means like the in, invitation into the adventure and then the hero has to negate that and say no i'm not i'm not ready my life is fine and then he has to go to a point of no return where he has it's like in star wars it's luke wants to be a uh, hang out in dagobah then he goes home and he sees his family has been burned and so he has no choice but to follow him. So we have that, all that stuff. But um, what I wanted to do was add this other part where we went to a flashback of how the abducted guitarist actually got into the band in the first place. And that's where I decided, wouldn't it be cool if I had like a two-minute long guitar solo <laughs> somewhere in the middle of a TV special? I haven't seen that before.
2: <laughs>
1: but it has to be cool, and the stakes have to keep raising every kind of moment of, of, this, uh, of this duel. And what happens is the lead guitarist makes a deal with the band because their ex-guitarist just quit. Back, and This isn't a flashback. Their ex-guitarist just quit. And, uh, and they need, the band's like, well, we've got to replace them so we can make our first record. And uh, he says, I'll make you a deal. If, if See all these like, 300, 2,000 whatever auditioners out here? If I can beat them all, then I'm going to be... Oh, let's be a one-guitar band, like Deep Purple or something like that. I don't want to. I don't need a second guitar. I don't need that. To compete with somebody else's ego. Let's make this a one-guitar band. And they say fine. So they make a deal. And there's a song where he just beats all these guitarists. And finally, the young guitar player shows up late and sings a song about being from Norway and <laughs> and he got lost along the way. And he has like a little fanny pack and a guitar like, like he must have shown himself a guitar gig bag you know that has like Norwegian kind of like decoration on it and stuff and his guitar is covered in duct tape and it's been dropped like a thousand times he's been living on the streets and the guitarist says alright fine I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you you know your time has come and gone but you seem like a nice guy it's a shame you have to go down this way get ready let's play and we have this big kind of tête-à-tête between guitars and uh, that's a song called The Duel so, if you want to cue that up. We know? Yeah. Yeah, so you'll have that. But it's a, it's a really fun piece, and visually it's a really cool thing because you have to advance every piece of music visually, too. You have to raise the stakes with everything as it keeps going. And uh, the guitarist blows the last note. He does everything perfectly except for the last note. And then uh, the guitarist hires him anyway because he says, No one's made me, no one's challenged me in that way before. So it's a fun, so I started out with that first. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to see. In this, in the show, these two guitars. One of them's always shitting on the other guitars, but you don't realize that he's the one that hired him the whole time. So, so it was a nice little thing. There's a lot of like emotional. What points this, in this what stuff does this mean. mean?
0: Well, what time do they come in? They're coming in at three thirty. 3.30? Oh, 3:30?
1: Yeah. Like two minutes? Three uh, yeah, thirty? And All that's right. the sh- and that's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a riff from uh, from uh, the beginning of the flashback. So you'll hear that. There's a lot of Metallica, old Metallica in it, yeah. and that's the kind of the idea, of the idea is to go a little bit old school with that stuff.
0: Well, now that we uh, now that we realize there's someone else coming into the rehearsal space, yes. House, I'll tell you what. Will you uh, can you just give us a um, some type of Death Clock? Uh, Enjoy your burrito song at the end. Absolutely. Enjoy your burrito. Okay.
1: is disbanded
2: one of them was taken we look to the skies to watch a new star awaken oh the dim star is born oh the deadly light and the star will turn to blood on this prophet's night and the prophecy has warned us that one of us must die before this is all over one of us must die